Yo, yo, yo. What is up, Salt Company? You guys can go ahead and find a seat. How we doing? Well, welcome to the Salt Company kickoff. Super stoked you guys are here. If we have not met before, my name is Timmy, and I am the director here at this college ministry called the Salt Company that Seth and Hayden were just talking to you about that you're at right now. Uh, man, this is exciting. We started two years ago. Um, two years ago, there was zero of us here, and now, look at this room. This is amazing. God is good. Um, we absolutely love UC students and Xavier students. And so, real quick, where are my Bearcats at in the room tonight? That's pretty good. All right, where are my Muskies at tonight? Let's go. I better watch out, Bearcats. But this is too good, right? Jesus just brings us all together. Do we have anybody from NKU here tonight? That's awesome. I won't make, I won't make you yell. I also met someone at another university here that's an art school. That I didn't even know they had an art university here in Cincy. That's true. So if I didn't call it your school, and you're, or maybe you're not in school and you're just college age and you're here, like super glad that you guys are here. Now, if you have a Bible... It's okay if you don't. We have some for you. But if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, that's A-okay. On the ground, it's kind of dark. It might be hard to see. But there are blue Bibles scattered all around the floor, maybe under your neighbor's chair. You can steal it before they have it. And if you don't own a Bible, guys, that is our gift to you. We want you to have it. You can write your name in it. You can mark it up. Like, it's yours. Um, every week here at Salt Company, we teach from the Bible, and, and tonight is no different. So we are going to be in Luke chapter 19, which is about 80% of the way through your Bible. And I don't know what page number it is on 973 in one of the blue Bibles. And then in the other one, it might be something different because there's two, 513, 973, 513. Okay, if you don't have one of those Bibles and you have a different one, then table of contents is a good friend. And if you don't have that, it'll be on the screen too. So, like, we, we, got, you, we got you covered. Now, before we read from the Bible, I just want to quickly address something here in this room tonight. I know that there is a wide variety of people here right now. Like, really all across the faith spectrum. Some of you, like, you grew up in church, and this feels like a second home to you, you know, you're real familiar with this, and this is comfortable for you, and if that's you, like, I'm super glad that you're here, but I know that there's also some of you here tonight who are like, you, you don't go to church, and to be in a, a meeting space like this, in a room like this, where we're singing worship songs, and you have a Bible opened on your lap, like, this might feel a little bit uncomfortable for you, and so I just wanted to, like, we acknowledge that, and we see that, and no matter what path you took to get here tonight, we are so glad that you're here. And so there are just a few things that I want to say to you that, that I want you to know. And so here's the first thing. Uh, I am super just personally grateful that you're here tonight. Like, thank you for showing up and taking time to come into this hot gym. <laughs> I did not know it was going to be so hot in here tonight. It is hot, but, but for real, for setting aside time to come here tonight and mustering up the courage to walk into a room where there's a lot of new faces. The second is this. I believe that you are here for a reason. Like, I truly believe that every single person is here tonight for a reason. I think that you're going to learn something from the Bible. But I also truly believe that Jesus can change your life in the best possible way. 
And I believe that you're here for a reason. And here's the last thing that I want to say to everyone tonight. And, and especially if you're a freshman. Um, I know there's probably a lot of freshmen in here tonight. I saw a ton of new faces. And, and this is, that's amazing. I'm super glad that you guys are here. I know that if I was new to Cincinnati, like walking onto a campus with thousands and thousands of others that, that I don't know, it could be easy to feel like a small fish in a big pond. A little bit lost. And maybe, maybe you haven't like found your people or your place yet. And I know that it is totally possible to, to be surrounded by a bunch of people and yet feel very alone and unknown. And so like, if that is you tonight, like I know there's other people here tonight, like you're thriving, like this is your element, you love it. And like, that's great too. But if you're on the other, and I've been in college ministry long enough to just know that like, that's not the case for everybody here. And so if that's you, we see you. And most importantly, God sees you. Um, he sees you, he knows you, like he knows your hurts and your sufferings and the things that you've gone through and he cares for you. And honestly, like that's a lot about what we're gonna be looking at in God's word tonight. And so something that you guys should know about me is that I'm from Louisiana, um, born and raised in Louisiana, way down south. I actually went to LSU and lived in Louisiana my whole life. Like, like think like swamp people, like Chudum Lidabeth or, uh, or Waterboy. I always joke and say that that movie makes us seem way smarter than we actually are. Um, I really hope not. <laughs> you hang out with me long enough, you'll figure it out, I guess. But anyways, um, one thing that's like really unique about Louisiana is we have this thing every single year called Mardi Gras. Now, has anybody here ever been to Mardi Gras before? Okay, I see a few hands. So you will know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, I'm going to explain it to you anyway. So basically it's like this really huge ginormous crowd of people, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands, come to New Orleans, and they have these massive parades that come through the streets of New Orleans. And basically, you're standing there in this crowd as these giant, like, trucks that are decorated that have these things with, like, like these huge decorations on these, like, big semi-sized trucks that just parade through the city. And on each float, right, that's what those things are called, there's about, like, 30 to 40 people on there, and they have these things called Mardi Gras beads, which are like these like plastic necklaces, and then they have all kind of like stuffed toys and like swords and spears and, and like cups or whatever. And so the name of the game is like you try to get their attention, and then they're going to throw you stuff. Okay, and basically you just want to be louder than the person next to you. And so like I grew up going to this, like sometimes we would wear costumes. Sometimes me and my friends, we'd bring a ladder and we'd like stand up on the ladder and we'd jump on this thing. And then, and then sometimes we get on each other's shoulders. And, and if someone throws you like a bead or something, you catch it, you just freak out, okay? But here's the ironic thing about all this. It's like people will scream and yell out there for, for like, this goes on for like two weeks. And people will come out every single day to these parades and do this. And all this stuff is just worthless. It's just like worthless crap that you don't even want. And yet people do this every single year. And it's just like this, this huge festival in Louisiana. It's just crazy. But I would imagine that some of you here might feel like that tonight, not with Mardi Gras beads, that like you've been out screaming and yelling, trying to get the attention of people throwing beads, but maybe when it comes to God, where you've wondered, hey, does God see me? Like, does he see me in all this and all the sufferings that I've gone through? Like, does he even notice me? Does he know my name? And if he does, like, how does God feel about me? Is he angry at me? Does he love me? Does he notice me? Maybe you hope that God doesn't notice you because of things that have happened in your life. Maybe things that you've done that have brought shame in your life. I just want to say, if any of that hits you, 
It hits me. And I believe that you're in the right place tonight. Because we're going to look at a story that shows that God has sent his son, Jesus, to seek and to save even the worst of us. And he does see you. And he does love you. And so that's where we're going tonight in Luke chapter 19. So we're going to start in verse 1. This is a story that maybe some of you have heard before and others this might be the first time. That's A-OK. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, he entered Jericho, that's Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So I want to spend most of our time tonight talking about Zacchaeus, but first I need to say a little something about this city, Jericho. See, Jericho was a pretty dark and cursed city. Like lots of bad stuff went down in Jericho. Ever since the walls came tumbling down in Jericho about a thousand years prior, like this is, this is not a place you want to go. Okay, this is definitely not a place you want to be from, okay? We, we could call it like Cleveland, Ohio, okay? Who dat? <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. I mean, even Jesus didn't want to stay there long. Look, look at what it says. It says, he entered Jericho and then was passing through. And Jesus was like, well, let's get out of here. Okay, I'm just kidding. It's, it's not quite that simple. Let's, let's move on. So, so Zacchaeus, all right? Look at how Zacchaeus is described. It tells us two things. One, that he was a chief tax collector. And the second is this, that he was very rich. Now, for you and I to understand this story in the context of what we're about to read, we need to understand what a tax collector was. See, tax collectors, guys, they were hated by society. They were hated for a couple reasons. Maybe even rightfully so. Here's the first thing. They were Jewish traders who took advantage of their own people and tried to take money from them. And here's the second thing. They worked for the Jewish enemy, which was Rome, the people who were occupying Israel at this time. So this would be like modern day, like someone who's a Ukraine citizen, born and raised in Ukraine, and they're just betraying their family, giving all this information to the Russian government to allow Russia to invade their territory for money. Like tax collectors were obviously unloved by the Jews. Now, what would have made this situation even more difficult or Zach's, Zach's reputation even worse is that he wasn't just a tax collector. The text tells us he was a chief tax collector. And he was very rich. So he, this man has gained all kind of power and a mass amount of wealth by betraying his own kind, by taking advantage of his own people. Right, like he's a dirtbag. If if the dude was alive today, I mean, I'm just gonna guess that he would probably cheer for the Cleveland Browns. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Where, where's the? We don't have a lot of Bengals fans in here. Can I get a who dat? Okay. All right, sweet. I said who dat on accident. That's the New Orleans coming out of me. Who day? See, Joe Burrow is really easy for me to root for because I went to LSU. All right, no more football. I promise. That's it. We're done. Okay, but, but you know what this means for Zacchaeus? Is that he was lonely. Right? He would have been a disgrace to his family. He probably would have been disowned by his family. That he didn't have friends. That he was looked down upon by society. That though he was popular and everybody knew who he was in the city, they all hated him. Nobody liked him. 
He'd be the kind of person that we would think that God could never love. God could never save. He would be the last person that you would want to be seen hanging out with. It'd be like a drug dealer or a prostitute or just a total social outcast. And for the most part, unloved, unwanted, and unseen. By most accounts, his life is a complete tragedy, but that story is about to change today. Look at what's happening in verse 3. Jesus is passing through this town of Jericho, and this huge crowd formed around Jesus. And Zacchaeus, for some reason, we don't really know why, Luke doesn't tell us, but he really wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. Maybe it's because he's heard of the miracles that he's been doing, or people have been claiming he's the promised Messiah, he's the, the son of God who, was, who would come to save the world. For whatever reason, the name of Jesus and that he was in the town began to draw Zacchaeus to him, but there's a problem. See, Zacchaeus was what a lot of us would call vertically challenged, okay? Um, like the crowd was too tall and Z was too small, all right? He's just, he's just not able to see Jesus, but he really so badly wants to see Jesus. And so here's what happens, right? Verse 4, it says, So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Okay, so again, picture this scenario here. Like, this is a real story. This actually happened. Mardi Gras-sized crowd. Everyone's gathering, following Jesus, trying to see him. This guy, Zacchaeus, really wants to see Jesus, but he can't, right? He's too short. He's got Kevin Hart problems. He's not able to see him. But then down the street that looks like Jesus is heading that way, he sees this tree. So he runs up ahead and begins to climb up this tree, and he's just hoping and waiting that he can just get a glimpse of Jesus, what do we learn about Zacchaeus from this story? I think he's missing something. Right, homeboy is rich, but he's missing something. He's not satisfied. He's longing for something more. He's searching for something that he doesn't have. And I can't help but wonder if many of you have walked in here tonight and are searching for something. So as Jesus is leaving this town of Jericho, and this crowd's all around him. He's walking to leave the city. And then all of a sudden he comes to a stop. And he stops right underneath the tree that Zacchaeus is in. And he looks up at Zacchaeus. Now, all the people in this story would have seen Zacchaeus in the tree. And they would have looked at him too and they would have thought, well, there's that guy. There's that guy that everybody hates. That scumbag, that crook, that thief. Let him have it, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, sees him truly for who he is, and all his mistakes and all his failures, and he calls him by his name. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Now, guys, this would have taken everybody by surprise. Right? Even Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus and Jesus has never met before. They've never seen each other. Zacchaeus has never seen Jesus. And then, right, you want to see Jesus so badly. You climb up this tree. You're waiting. He comes along the way. Jesus looks up at you, and then he says your name. He calls you by your name. He says, Zacchaeus. I mean, this would have blown everyone's mind. Everyone in that town knew who Zacchaeus was. 
He was the scumbag tax collector who had taken advantage of so many families and taken advantage of so many people, yet Jesus stops for Zacchaeus and he calls him by his name. So I want us to see something in this story tonight that tells us about who Jesus is. And it's this, guys. No one is too insignificant for the attention of Jesus. No person is too insignificant for the attention of Jesus. Not lepers, not outcasts, not prostitutes, not tax collectors, not chief tax collectors, not children, not blind beggars. The list could go on. Drug addicts, dropouts, hypocrites, has-beens, criminals, nobodies. Guys, no one is too insignificant for the attention of Jesus. And no one is disqualified for the compassion of Jesus. And that was true back then, and that is true for you and I right now. Jesus isn't like that football coach who's only looking for the guy with a cannon of an arm. And he's like, yeah, I want you on my team. I'm going to make you the next Tom Brady. Like, he's not just looking for the athletes. He's looking for the kids, and he's interested in the kids who are tripping over their shoelaces. Maybe even the kids who don't have shoes. That's who Jesus is interested in. He's not recruiting superstars because in reality, salt company superstars don't exist. Not from God's perspective. God is looking for people who realize that they don't have it all together. And he's also receiving the worst of us, the weakest of us, the most frail, the most sinful. And he's giving attention to the people that everybody else just walks right by and doesn't stop for. But Jesus stops for them. He stops for Zacchaeus. He stops for me. And he stops for you. And it's in this, and in this way, that he changes the world. My guess is that all of you here tonight want to change the world. But what I want you to see is that world changing in the way of Jesus doesn't mean you just get to walk by Zacchaeus, the tax collector. But it means you stop. Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to stop for the person who can do nothing good for you. Seeing the unseen in our world. That's where world changing begins. When we refuse to call people by their label and instead call their, by their name. Jesus is much more than a role model, but he is not less than that. And to follow in the way of Jesus means we, as Christians, should actually live like him. We stop where he stops. Where he has compassion, we should have compassion too. Now believe me, the crowds here, right back to the story, would have been shocked. And so is Zacchaeus. Jesus stops, looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. What? All right, think about this moment. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was sent to rescue the world and bring his kingdom down. There is one person Jesus chooses to stay with in this whole city. And it's not the religious elite. It's not the pastors. It's not the kids who have it all together. It's Zacchaeus, the tax collector. That's the one person he picks in this city. Imagine how Zacchaeus would have felt. In that moment, as Jesus calls his name and doesn't condemn him for the things that he's done, but instead he extends an invitation, an invitation of friendship and an invitation of grace. You see, verse 6 tells us 
It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Guys, Zacchaeus in this moment is filled with joy as he realizes that Jesus, the son of God, notices me. Jesus sees me. Jesus knows my name. Jesus knows me. He knows the things I've done, and yet Jesus wants to come to my house and spend time with me. What would that have felt like? Zacchaeus probably thought, I'm unlovable. I'm unforgivable. And yet now the Son of God in the flesh, Jesus, is standing before him, choosing me, accepting me. It had probably been so long since anybody wanted to hang with Zacchaeus. Nobody eats with Zacchaeus, but Jesus does. And Zacchaeus was overjoyed, just filled with joy. But you know who wasn't? The religious crowd. They were angry. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That guy? Jesus is going to go hang out with that guy? I wouldn't be seen with that guy. Does he know what he's done? How is he going to go stay with such a sinner? And really think about it, like, why would he? Why would Jesus choose to stay at Zacchaeus' house? Someone who is unlovable, someone who is unforgivable, someone who is unseen. The worst person you could think of in your mind. Guys, this story shows us that Jesus came to show the most unlovable and the most unworthy forgiveness that he came for them. You see, what Jesus loving Zacchaeus shows us is this, that if Jesus can love the most unlovable person, then he can also love us. That if there is mercy for people like Zacchaeus, then there is also mercy for people like me and people like you. You see, God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, to judge them and their sin, but to save them, to extend mercy. And so what happens? Jesus shows Zacchaeus love for the first time, and he doesn't condemn him. He doesn't call him by the things that he's done, but he calls him by his name, and he extends mercy and grace to him, and they start a relationship. And what happens? Zacchaeus has changed. Something happens in Zacchaeus' heart. Look at his response, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. <laughs> Zacchaeus says, Everything that I've stolen, I'm going to pay it back times four. And I'm going to take half of what I have, and I'm just going to give it to the poor. He woke up that morning a greedy, selfish tax collector who just cares about taking advantage of people. But something happened when he encountered Jesus. His life completely changed. And Jesus shows us that in this story, that he has come to deal out mercy and grace to those who are sinful. And that in a moment... Your entire life can be changed because that's what happened to Zacchaeus. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, he's looking at Zacchaeus, and he says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus says, he too is a son of Abraham. Okay, if, if, you're, if you didn't grow up in church, 
You're like, what does that mean? Abraham in the Bible is known as the father of faith. And so what Jesus is saying here is that how Abraham believed in Jesus and found salvation and was saved, so too Zacchaeus has had faith in Jesus and has found salvation today. He is also in the faith. He is a true son of Abraham. That Zacchaeus had faith in Jesus and the grace of Jesus and mercy of Jesus and in the person of who Jesus was. And salvation came to, Jesus, to Zacchaeus that day in that very moment. And that can be your story tonight. Tonight you can experience mercy. Tonight you can experience grace. It is that simple. It is through faith in Jesus that we receive mercy and grace for our sins. Now I want to finish by looking at one last verse. And it's the last thing that Jesus says to Zacchaeus here in verse 10. And honestly, it's the purpose of why he came. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says this, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do not miss this with me. Right? This is what can change your life. This is how your entire life can change. And this is how my life has been changed. Jesus has come. The eternal, perfect Son of God has come. And why did he come? To bring judgment and to condemn? No, what does it say? To seek and to save. And who has he come to seek and to save? Is it the people who have it all together? Is it the religious elite? Is it the super spiritual? No. To seek and to save the lost, the broken the people who have blown their shot, the people who have spat in God's face and completely turned their back on him, the people who believe he never existed. He came for Zacchaeus, he came for the prostitutes, he came for the tax collectors, and look, he comes for you and he comes for me. He loves unlovable people and has mercy on them. And how does he do, how does he do it? Right, this is how I want to close. Right, Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost. But how does he do it? How does he extend mercy and forgiveness to you and I? You see, days later, after Jesus would leave Jericho, he would go to Jerusalem, another city, where he would be betrayed by his best friend, to where he would be handed to the Roman guards who would then beat and flog him and then drag him up a hill and nail him to a cross. You see, after Jesus called Zacchaeus to come down from that tree, days later, Jesus, the eternal perfect son of God, would climb up a tree, and he would be nailed to it. And on the cross, here's what the Bible tells us, that the sins of the world, Zacchaeus' sins, your sins, my sins, past, present, and future, were laid on him. And he took the punishment for the crimes that we committed, even though he was innocent and guiltless. And in exchange, those who have faith in Jesus, God promises to give eternal life and joy and hope and mercy. Here's how the Bible says it in Romans 5. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, wanting nothing to do with God, giving God the finger, or playing a super religious game, thinking that we're better than we actually are, Christ died for us. He died for you and he died for me. I want to try and put this as plainly and clearly as I can. This is what we believe at Salt Company. 
We believe that God is the good and eternal creator of all things, seen and unseen, and that he has spoken authoritatively to us through his word, the Bible. We believe that every single human being is made by God and for God, and therefore important to God, no exceptions. We also believe that every human being is sinful and broken, and that even the best of us have deep-rooted evil in our hearts that comes out in our actions and our words every single day. No exceptions there either. We also believe that God was unwilling to let our sins have the final say over our lives and over our eternity. And so he became a man in the person of Jesus to seek and to save and to open the eyes of our darkened hearts. Jesus didn't just perform miracles and live a sinless life and die on the cross, but three days after his death, he literally and physically rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and to offer forgiveness and eternal life to all who would cry out to him. He doesn't just give us heaven later. He gives us power and purpose now and comfort and guidance and a family of faith that we can lean on for the rest of our lives starting today, starting now. You cannot earn God's grace by your good works. And you also cannot lose it from the things that you do that are wrong. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. And even in this very moment right now, his arms and his heart are open to anyone who would cry out to him. They're open to you. Would you pray with me? Father, it makes absolutely no sense that you would love messy, broken people like myself, like Zacchaeus, like all of us in this room. Lord, not one of us has what it takes to earn eternal life. Your word says that we cannot. The standard is perfection, and we are so imperfect. But we thank you that, God, in your mercy and love, you sent Jesus to live a perfect life for us so that we could have life, so that we could have forgiveness from our sins and no longer stand condemned before you, but accepted, loved as a child of God not by anything that we've done, by everything that Jesus has done in our place. Lord, that is the good news of the gospel. I thank you for this story where you met Zacchaeus where he was at and you extended mercy to him. I thank you that you offer that to us in this room here tonight. We love you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name.